Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi award winning Niall Boylan Show. Now, you heard on the news there some shocking figures that over 3,500 council houses are empty at the moment in this country. It's the highest vacancy rate um, are in Dublin at 712, Cork with 350. Now, Leah Varadkar uh, points out that these local authority houses can be vacant for good reason. One wonders what the good reason they'd be lying idle for. Well, the man who asked for that particular information on the Freedom of Information Act is Aintu leader Pader Tobin, who joins me on the line. Pader, good evening to you. Good evening to you. How are you getting on? Uh, you mentioned, and coincidentally, you were in the news there a few minutes ago, and it mentions uh, one of the soundbites in the news said, you said this is similar to a small town in Ireland, I suppose. Well, it's probably a reasonably large town, 3,500 people in it. Um, why are these houses lying idle? Because according to the Taoiseach, they're lying idle for good reason. Yeah, so just for, for uh, statistics, typically you would have an average uh, three people to a house. So a town of three and a half thousand houses would obviously be, uh, you know, 10,000 people at least uh, will be living there. So it is a, a significant size uh, town. And and right now in the middle of probably the worst housing crisis uh, in generations, we have these uh, houses lying idle. And, you know, many people look at the private sector and, you know, blame the private sector for, for empty houses. But the government, the state, is actually the biggest hoarder of empty properties across the country um, and that's incredible and especially so when you have 12,600 people who are you know living in emergency accommodation uh, at, it, at would, it would be fair to say Patrick there's always going to be an amount of houses that are you know not in livable conditions or certainly not inhabitable uh, because sure. the previous tenants may have wrecked them or whatever so there's a period of time of a few months where they have to fix them up or do them up or do whatever they need to do to them so there is always going to be a few houses isn't there Always. So th- there's no doubt you'll always have some empty homes um, but, uh, by any organization. And, you know, hotels always have empty rooms, uh, etc. So it's, it's not possible to make sure that they're full all the time. But the problem we have is the turnaround time on average for a local authority house now is eight months. And, um, you know, sometimes houses are turned around over two years. So I would know, for example, of local authority houses, uh, that people are ringing my office and asking why can't they get those houses, and they, you know, they're giving me the dates of when they were they were last um, inhabited, and I get onto the council, and and that will be the case, and so so I, I think is that, that is that a, is that a case, Padder, that we just don't have the manpower to go in and make sure the houses are habitable, to make sure the houses come up to standard, because obviously there's a standard for insurance reasons. So is it a case that we just don't have the manpower or the contract workers for Dublin or for whatever city council it happens to be to make those houses inhabitable? Yes, I think, I think it's habitable. a mix of reasons. I think it's a mix of reasons. So sometimes it's bureaucracy, sometimes it's red tape, and sometimes it's staff. So I will say, and, and I think that you know, this country is beset by bureaucracy. It's, you know, red tape is, is phenomenal to do anything. And, and I suppose the National Children's Hospital is, is the perfect example of this. Mm. To do everything, you know, there's absolutely incredible red tape. I, I heard of a room, a design of a room in the National Children's Hospital that was actually redesigned 125 times, believe it or not. <laughs> oh, so, I shouldn't laugh because I don't even know what the budget is. I think everybody's lost count at this stage. We must be up to three billion at this stage, are we? It's, it's, it's definitely over two billion. There's, there's no doubt about that. And, that's, and, and it's still counting. But one of the problems years ago, back in the 1990s, if a local authority house became available, oftentimes the keys were just handed over to the new tenants. And the new tenants moved into the 
to the house as it was. And indeed, if you're selling a house, typically you sell the house to a person, the person moves in to the house as, as he left it. And, and even in rent, most occasions, that would be the mm-hmm. same thing. So, no, so are again, you saying sure. we're setting the standard too high when it comes to council housing? What, what I'm saying is that, that um, the council are, they're too, they're too officious in relation to it. So I, I know uh, of certain occasions where the best of everything were put into local authority homes by the, the tenants, you know, really mm-hmm. good uh, standard kitchens and everything. And then the council, you know, came in and the Ripped council ripped all that stuff out. Yep. And it, it cost, you know, tens of thousands of euros, if not more. And it took months and months for that house to be, to be brought back into a livable condition to be to be rented out. And I'm just, I'm asking the question that, you know, how is it that when we have 12,000 people in emergency accommodation, where they're obviously suffering significantly, where, you know, their nutrition is down because they can't cook a meal, when the kids' mental health is, 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 is being hammered because of living in, the, in a hotel room, they can't socialize with, with family or friends. How can we have a crisis of that level and yet the local authorities would be so officious when it comes to using common sense and getting houses back into use. I mean, you, so, you only mentioned the 12,000 in temporary accommodation. We've also got over 98,000 on the housing list and 54,000 who are in receipt of the HAP payment as well. So realistically, we've over 160,000 people looking for a house. Absolutely. So we, easily, we have 160,000 people in what I would call a, a housing distress of some sort uh, at the moment in this state. And... And that's one of the reasons why it's so slow for the government even to build local authority houses, that the government, this country has, is, you know, being hampered significantly, hamstrung significantly by the level of bureaucracy and red tape that's happening. And absolutely, the point that you made in terms of staff, there's no doubt that there is a, a, a serious problem with, um, with properly qualified staff to be able to do this work. And the government is not putting the, the, the effort into making sure but that... Is, but isn't that, uh, isn't that the biggest problem we have in this country? And I, I spoke to you, one of your colleagues, Eric Nelligan, there going back about a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, and he was talking about the amount of properties that have been purchased uh, by different uh, NGOs and funded uh, government uh, agencies for people looking for council housing. And he said it's not leaving any housing for the private buyer to buy. But the problem is, is that you've got all the political parties, including the Labour Party, who promised a million houses. <laughs> they might as well promise 10 million as promise a million, to be honest with you. But realistically, you, well, even to, to promise 80,000 houses in the next five years is a pipe dream. Because if we can't find the staff to fix up a house, you know, uh, you know, the contract companies or wherever it is that we take on to fix up these houses, how are we going to find, you know, staff, builders, plasters, bricklayers, carpenters, electricians and everybody to build these 120,000 houses, for example, that Sinn Féin have promised? We're not going to find them. Yeah, so the, the, there's no doubt if we can't do what the small amount we're asking to do now, you know, it, it's pretty much impossible to double those um, objectives and, and fulfill them in the future. And you mentioned, you know, the issue of homes being bought by housing associations, etc. It's exactly the same in the rental market. So you, you also mentioned that 70,000 people are now on housing assistance payments and the rental accommodation scheme, mm. which means... You know, the government is spending over a billion euros on um, on these rents. That money is going into, you know, private landlords' pockets. You know, it's dead money in many ways because after the year of rent, the, the government have no asset uh, for it. And, and also, they're taking those houses out of the private rental sector, which is reducing the number of accommodations that are available to those in the private re- rental sector, which is pushing up 
the, the rent on, on those so, families. So, so, where, so where did it all go? Sean Mass will be turning in his grave. Where did it all go wrong? Was, did it all go wrong during the Celtic Tiger when the government ran, ran amok, essentially thought everybody could afford their own homes because we were all minted or something like that, and stopped building social housing? There was a period of time where we just weren't building there was, social housing. There was. There was basically, uh, I remember as, as a councillor um, about uh, 13 years ago, ringing the council and asking them how many local authority houses were built in Leeds, and I was told that there were two. Uh, but so basically, the government made a an ideological decision to outsource this completely to the private sector. It made it easy for them. They had to do less work. They just had to to to, to throw the money at the private sector to resolve this. Also, I will say, and this is really important, that when the crash came, about a quarter million to three hundred thousand, um, you know, um, construction workers left this country, um, because there was there was no work there for them. You know, at that time, the government should have been involved in some counter-cyclical thinking. They should have said, okay, well, we need these we will need these construction workers in the, in, in the future. Let's identify construction work that's necessary now, put these people to work here so we keep them for future, for, for future work. So at the time, you know, I came up with a, a significant plan for a wide-scale wide retrofit, uh, insulation retrofit program, which would have insulated the housing stock significantly across the country and kept these construction workers here so we wouldn't have the massive dearth uh, of construction workers here at the moment. The other element I would say is this, and I, I talk to small builders in Ireland, a lot of these contractors are, contracts that the government are putting out, they're putting out to the big builders. And what's happening is the small builders are simply not working at the moment uh, for, for these type of state contracts. And, and the reason being is because if they tender for a, a job, um, they have to set a price they may not, that, that particular project might not go ahead for six months to a year. And then with construction inflation happening, the any profit margin that was in that particular tender evaporates because the cost of all the inputs are rising but the so small, much. Well, the problem is the smaller builder doesn't have the capital investment even to build, you know, seven or eight houses or whatever it happens to be on a small street or whatever it is. And, and they can't compete against the larger developers who can put in these tenders. I mean, because your average smaller builder, firstly, wouldn't know where to start. So we, have to, we have to, to make it easier. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, we have to make it to break this, For sure, the government needs to break these contracts up. And, and you know, um, in the same way, what, what happened in a, in a private, uh, you know, development, a developer would, build, would buy the, the development land, but he would sell plots to smaller builders who will build their six or seven uh, homes within the, the design mm. of the estate. And like, uh, again, one of the major problems we do in this country is the government creates these tenders far too big, far too cumbersome, that only really a, a small number of massive contractors can tender for them. And if that's the case, it significantly reduces the competition on the tender. It actually pushes up the tender, the tender price in the long run, but it means that you have a whole section of, of the, of the mm. industry that's not able to, to yeah, but deliver. I mean, but the real, the real problem is going to be, and I envisage next year, uh, and next year we're going to find out, for example, and look, God knows how long the war in Ukraine will go on, for how many people who came here from Ukraine are possibly going to stay. Uh, because some of them will want to return home, but a lot of them are maybe found their homes here in Ireland, their kids are in school, they might want to continue their lives in Ireland. They're all in temporary accommodation or hotels at the moment. They're all going to be looking for homes too. So you know, we're going to find ourselves in real difficulty with a huge increase in population, as we know, in the last year. Yeah, and, and I also want to mention COVID as well, because this very seldom gets mentioned, because no other bloody political party out there will mention it except for AIN2. But we've got to remember that you know, the, the government closed down building sites for the best part of a half a year in the, mid, the middle of the COVID crisis. Um, and we were the only state in the whole of the European Union that closed down fully residential construction. 
And as a result, we, uh, we, we, we obviously, first of all, deleted six months of, of construction and supply. Um, but we also, it also meant then that um, supply chains were, were going to become tighter and more difficult mm-hmm. to, to deliver on. Um, there's two quick fixes, well, two potential uh, ingredients into solving this in, in some way. One is the Airbnb sector. So again, during COVID, when COVID hit, all of a sudden, thousands of houses came on the uh, rental market uh, for the long-term rental. And that's because there was no short-term rental uh, at the time because people weren't traveling. Uh, And as soon as COVID uh, restrictions relaxed, a lot of those long-term rentals went back into short-term rentals. I honestly believe that for a period of two or three years, in towns and cities above 10,000 people, the government needs to restrict um, short-term rental Airbnbs uh, because it is just bonkers that we have you know, tourists living in homes and families living in hotels. Mm-hmm. And that's just, just bonkers for an emergency period of time. Yeah. Uh, the second issue is the government does still need to get to grips with the level of vacant properties that exist within the country. There are towns and villages in my own constituency where 50% of the houses on the main streets of those villages are, 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 are still derelict, they're still empty. Um, and, you know, it, it, it just does not make sense that these are, you know, these need about 25% of the work that a new home would need to get them back into use. And so I, I, I thoroughly believe that mm-hmm. grant funding needs to be made available to bring these uh, accommodations into use. In, some con- in, in, in other countries, they've actually sold derelict buildings very cheaply to families to allow for them to be able to afford the necessary money to renovate those homes and bring them back to use as well. But we are afflicted with dereliction in many towns and villages in this country. And, and in what, what about, crisis, but, 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 sorry for interrupting you, because I'm a bit short on time, but what about you know the idea of bringing in um, a property tax or a vacant property tax? That has been suggested yeah, I, on numerous occasions, I, but it hasn't been done. Do you believe that's a good idea? I do believe that in a case where there is no good reason for that property to be empty, except for maybe speculative purposes, I think there's a necessity for a carrot and a stick. Uh, and and what, about, what, what about the other one then, um, which is the, well, I suppose in Britain they call it the bedroom tax. So we have a situation where, you know, the council is badly run. We've established that already. Um, and you have people maybe say, you know, Mary, who lives in Finglas, whose husband died 10 years ago. All her children have moved on and she's living in a three or four bedroom house. Uh, I'm only using that as an example. If she exists, I do apologise. Mm. But I'm just using that as an example. Now, I'm not suggesting we turf her out on the street, but surely we could find something more appropriate and more and more, you know, affordable for Mary while we move maybe a four uh, a four family four unit family into that house who are now living in a hotel or a one bedroom apartment. I would be very cautious about about going down the bedroom t- tax and this, and you know, for, for a number of reasons. Obviously, if you lived your whole life in in a particular uh, community and you've grown up there and you have your family and friends and your structure. And all of that, uh, and you're growing into, you know, the golden years of your life. And the idea of actually, you know, putting in a tax that will force an individual to to move into a different location where none of those structures are in place. Like there is a value of community. And no, of, no, I get, of, I do get that, and I, yeah. and I am torn on that idea. But I know mm. people have suggested it in the past. Finally, sure, before, no, before we go, Padre, yeah. thank you very much indeed for talking about housing. But I just uh, spring this one on you as well. You may have heard, of course, that free GP care was extended to another 215,000 people who became eligible for free visits today. I'm going to be doing a topic a little bit later on. And I know we don't have the NHS in this country, and we probably don't have the money to have the NHS in this country, which is free GP care for everybody. But do you think the majority of people in this country would be willing to pay, say, an extra 40 euro in their wages every month if it meant they got free GP care? Well, first of all, I would say that, we like, and, and again, 
everybody would love free GP care, but the major crisis we have at the moment is that there are no bloody GPs at the moment, and that's just really that's really the, the crisis. I know of, of of a pregnant woman in in my own county that you know couldn't get a doctor at all for love nor money uh, because doctors are simply not taking anybody else onto their lists and. You know, doctors are as rare as hen's teeth, and what's happening with the government is by making services free currently uh, for bigger cohorts of people, what they're doing is they're putting a limited supply of doctors under further pressure, which actually means that it, it's taking longer to get a doctor's appointment. You could wait two weeks currently uh, in uh, counties like Meath to get a doctor's appointment unless you're at death's door, and in, in that scenario, you won't wait for the doctor's appointment. You'll go to your A&E, which is clogging up the A&E system, what we, we need is proper workforce planning. So we why, get why the right number. Well, why can't we do it properly? I mean, I spend most of my time in the north now, and I visit the Ulster Hospital if I need to go to A&E. And in comparison to Ireland, now I know the NHS is certainly not perfect, but there's a population of 1.7 million in the north and three major hospitals. And they seem to be a lot more efficient. I can go in and out of A&E in an hour and a half, max, generally speaking, in the Ulster Hospital. So why can't we just get that right? What is the problem? Why can't we? I mean, they're not doing anything more than we're doing. I don't know, I don't know what it is they're doing, but, but certainly they seem to be more efficient in the way they run it. I'm not blaming the doctors and nurses because they're wonderful at their jobs. It's the administration. Why can't we run it properly? Well, there's a major issue of capacity here. So, you know, um, when in, 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 you know, in the 1980s, there was about uh, 3 million people living here. Now there's about 5.5 million. And there hasn't been the extra capacity put in. In actual fact, the governments over, you know, the 2010, 2011, 2012 pulled out thousands of beds. Uh, we have a far lower bed capacity now than we did 10 or 15 years ago. So we have actually significantly reduced the capacity on this side uh, of, of the border. You know, you mentioned the, the new people who have come to Ireland. We've had a population increase of at the city of Galway just probably in the last two years. And we haven't had a, like a, you know, the, the level of, of doctors and surgeries and hospitals that Galway has built extra in those two, two uh, two years. So if, if we want an efficient health service, we have to match the, the capacity within the service with the population increases, and the government hasn't done that at all. And the, the okay. reason it hasn't done that is, one, they haven't got the ambition in terms of capacity building, but two, and this is really important, they're, they're not interested in fixing the, the management problems that are in the HSE whatsoever. So they're throwing money at the HSE well, at times. Well, money, sure. was, money was never the issue. I mean, we could Money's throw not, billions. Yeah, so they're, they're throwing money at, at, at the, the HSE, but the HSE is an opaque organization. They don't know what's happening within the organization, and there's not the proper management structures uh, within the organization. And in many ways, much of that money has been just the addition of extra management rather than extra uh, frontline uh, yep. uh, um, staff, which, which is badly needed. Okay, well, listen, thank you very much indeed, and I appreciate you coming on the show. Angel Leader, Patter Tobin, thank you. Uh, there you go, Patter, talking about the housing crisis and how we have 3,500 houses across the country empty, lying vacant. Leo Radke, of course, said there's good reason for that. Patter believes, yes, there's good reason for a small amount, but not 3,500. He believes the problem is, is that we don't have the people and we don't have the manpower to get those houses ready for people, and we're also wasting money. In other words, if somebody moves out of a council house, they leave it in fairly good condition. It should be just given to the next person, not closed for eight months while they rip everything out of it and replace it all with new items. That's completely unnecessary. Real people. Real opinions. Real Talk Radio. The multi-award winning Niall Boylan Show.